Welcome to the Healthy Family Project by Produce for Kids, covering the hot topics in the world of health, food, and family with a dose of fun. Welcome back. I'm your host, Amanda. Hope you enjoyed last episode and have your small garden plans in order for spring. I know over here I am in the midst of planting and of course I'm in a warmer climate, so I'm already growing a few things, but definitely catch up on the last episode. Um, Be sure to listen to that and get all the info on starting your small garden that can make a big environmental impact with Earth Day right around the corner. It could be a fun activity to do with your family, get that garden planned or or get that, you know, small landscape area going for the summer months. Don't forget to join our Healthy Family Project Facebook group. I love interacting with all of you over there and many of our guests are in the group too. So from past episodes, if you want to tap into their insights direct, that's kind of cool. We have new recipes, yay, over on the website, just in time for spring. Um, I know sometimes, you know, as the seasons change, what we're, we're cooking up in the kitchen changes as well. So if you need some inspiration, head over there. Of course, all of our recipes are approved by our registered dietitian, Sally Kuzemchek. Excuse me. You may know her from realmomnutrition.com. Um, she's also a regular on our Facebook page or our Facebook group. So if you want to chat with her, she's, she's in the mix. And then... All of our recipes are tested and approved by my family um, and some of the families on our team. We actually, our team creates these recipes in my kitchen, uh, in my home. So that's really cool. Uh, you get, can see behind the scenes. We do a lot of that over on our Instagram. So if you want to follow us on Instagram, you can see some fun stuff behind the scenes and then also um, get get our recipes and, and different tips over there. Okay, now on today's to today's topic. The word inflammation has become a buzzword when it comes to the health of our families. Inflammation in our society and this ongoing issue, in most cases, relates directly back to the foods we eat. Today's conversation is an exciting one full of great ideas and tips from Stefania Patinelia and Hilary McClafferty, two of the co-authors of the new cookbook, The Anti-Inflammatory Family Cookbook. Stefania is a chef and the founding director of the Go Healthy Cooking, Nutrition, Education, and Gardening programs at the Children's Aid Society of New York City. Hillary is a board-certified doctor in pediatrics, pediatric emergency medicine, and integrative medicine. She's the medical director of pediatric emergency medicine at the Tucson Medical Center in Arizona and a founding member of the American Board of Integrative Medicine. These ladies know their stuff and put it together in an easy to digest, get get what I did there, um, cookbook for families, and they even include babies. So let's get chatting with these ladies right away. Welcome to the show. I am so excited. First time having two guests on the podcast. So I'm getting a little savvy over here. Um, I am honored and excited to meet you both and learn more about your new cookbook, the Anti-Inflammatory Family Cookbook. I have one here um, as we speak and I've, I've taken a little bit of time to go through it. So let's kick things off with you both sharing a little about yourselves with our listeners. So I will turn to to you first, Stefania, if you want to kick it off. Hi, Amanda. Thank you. It's so nice to be on your show. Thanks for inviting us. Sure. 
Um, so I spent the last 15, oh, 17 actually, <laughs> years immersed in healthy cooking with kids, nutrition education. Um, I worked for eight years at a nonprofit called the Children's Aid Society, where we also tackled school food, food reform. Um, you know, kids get fed a lot of processed food in their school foods. And so we scrapped those processed menus or the sort of chicken nuggets and tater tots and such and cooked meals entirely from scratch, all whole foods and, and plant-based. And um, a lot of the recipes, in fact, in this book were inspired by those years. And more recently, in the past few years, I've transitioned to doing uh, my own nutrition and health coaching practice. And I have to say, it's been uh, beautiful and interesting to move from like a public health perspective, you know, where I think the main question that was always on my mind is how can we create environments that make healthy choices easy for families? Right. To a question that's more personal, working one-on-one with people, how do you make those healthy choices possible to grab within whatever your environment is, even when they're not especially easy? Um, and what I love most about coaching is just kind of the privilege of being welcomed into one family and one individual's life and starting a conversation about health, less from a perspective of problems, how do we solve these health problems, and more from a perspective of strength and um, setting a vision of wellness. I love that. That's wonderful. And and I can say that sounds very rewarding. I know in the work that I do day in and day out, I'm like, okay, I need to feel good at the end of the day. I need to be helping people. And it sounds like you are definitely helping a lot of families, which is wonderful. Yeah, I do feel that. It's a it's a great privilege. I didn't think I could beat working at Children's Aid. I loved it so much and now I kind of beat it. So I'm pretty happy about that. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Okay. How about how about you, Hillary? We'll toss it over to you. Sure. And uh, good morning, everybody. So I am a pediatrician and also a pediatric emergency medicine physician who turned to training in integrative medicine in the mid-2000s and have spent a lot of time in education in this area. So basically educating physicians and physicians in training and families about all the things that we did not learn in medical school. So evidence-based approaches to health for children that expand and build on the conventional uh, approaches. So I spend time in clinical work and also a substantial amount of time and energy, which I love in education about these important topics. Wonderful. Well, I feel like I have two superstars here with here today with me. So I am, am very excited to talk about all things about the cookbook and um, let's let's jump right in. So it's what this cookbook is awesome. I have been through it. I actually even had my kids I, when I get new cookbooks, I like to have them go through and and <laughs> kind of take a look and let them lead and say, hey, let's make this recipe. So um, we've had some fun with it, but let's start basic. Before we learn about your vision for the cookbook, what is inflammation? I know it sounds like a very basic question, but definitely a question that a lot of families have. Absolutely. And so I'm going to ad- address this question in a way, the way that I think about it. In a normal system, in a normal body system on a cellular level, when you put in good healthy fuel, 
it burns efficiently. And so the system hums along. And if you put in fuel that is less efficient, so let's say less healthy, what happens is you get byproducts of the fuel burning on a cellular level that creates chemicals sort of broadly called cytokines, which are unhealthy to the cells. And this sets off a domino effect in the body, which I think about as sort of a smoldering uh, fire. And things get heated up and hotter and hotter until in the most extreme case, you're looking at a, you know, sort of a burning fire. Our goal with um, inflammation in the body is to cool this down. We want to, it's so much easier to not have it in the first place than to try to put out a fire. Right. And so on, yeah, on a cellular level, uh, that's the idea. Healthy, efficient fuel keeps the body uh, in equilibrium and keeps the system cooled down and very efficient. That's a great, that is actually a great way to explain it. I mean, like I said, it's a question you think is basic that that we all know, but it's definitely a question that's out there. Um, and that's that's super helpful. All right. So now we know what inflammation is. What inspired you to create this cookbook? So in this area, and Stefania and I are both going to address this question, in this area of um, nutrition, this is such an important lever to help the body be healthy. And when you're working with children, the earlier you start with healthy food, the better. And translating these concepts into, so the science is one thing, and then translating it into practical application is another. And so I, we worked with our wonderful colleague Maria Mascarenas at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia to take this information that I was teaching and she was teaching and implementing in the GI um, world, the gastrointestinal world at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and joined with this incredible team, Stefania and Jonathan and Alexandra, to bring this idea from the concept, the science into the kitchen. And Stefania, I will pass off from here. Yeah, thanks, Hillary. Um, you know, in some ways it was, um, it started from a conversation that uh, diet related diseases are a big problem, mostly for adults, mm -hmm. right? Because as Hillary said, things kind of um, snowball and that usually right. happens with, with age, right? And so we don't think about these things with kids so much. And so we hear a lot about the anti-inflammatory diet for adults or anti-inflammatory eating or healthy eating or any number of diets for adults. Um, we don't hear a lot. We hear about healthy eating for kids, but these terms that are a bit more scientific, you know, anti-inflammatory are not so much applied to kids' food. And we thought that kind of did a disservice. Like, why not really 
explain the science from the get-go, again, in the interest of prevention. The other thing we kind of just loved about this project is that it's pediatricians and chefs working together, which we think needs to happen more. Um, because, you know, it's like bringing the um, the the uh, doctor's office into your kitchen. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so we did. We talk, took, took two pediatricians and three chefs and combined it together and came up with <laughs> a bunch of recipes that we hope uh, your family loves. I want to I want to say one thing. It was very fun to work on this project and um, what a great group. So we we all learned a lot and had a lot of fun on this. Uh, and I think that comes through in the book. I was just going to say that I, I I do think it comes through in the book for sure. And here at Healthy Family Project, we I feel like we share similar vision. We started um, a video series it's called Food RX and we work with a dietitian and she helps kind of navigate, you know, foods to, you know, foods for gut health, foods for, so everything is foods that or foods for, you know, and she covers off on those. So we are big believers, um, you know, that what you're consuming as a child and as you grow really sets the stage, um, you know, for adulthood. And I mean, really, who wants to backtrack? That's the worst. Like, we we want to set ourselves up for success. So, um, you know, I know it's it's hard. You get to a certain point and it's like, oh my goodness, I have to completely change everything. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really it. That's the beauty of starting young. I think too, on that point, the studies clearly show that Prevention in kids, especially around obesity, for example, is critical because there are very few approaches that are successful once that cat is out of the bag. Mm -hmm. It's doable, but it's very difficult. And so we really want to emphasize that from the get-go. And there's a lot families can do. You know, this is within your grasp to do this um, in your household. I I think so. I think sometimes when you look at it, it seems hard to do. But I work with um, here in Orlando, um, Arnold Palmer Children's Hospital. I work with their um, health. They have a healthy living team and they work with children who have been diagnosed with they call lifestyle related diseases. And so that, you know, the obesity and the the diabetes and and things like that fall into that category. And um, we we see a lot of times that and what what we do is we educate the entire family so we host a series of classes that they come to but it's required for the whole family to attend because we're changing the habits of the entire family and not just the child that's been diagnosed because oftentimes it's habits that have been formed over a lifetime and it if you don't break it through and break those they continue to manifest generation after generation so Um, I am definitely with you guys on this. (laughs) All right. So we talked a little bit about having fun with the cookbook. Now let's find out how did you create these anti-inflammatory recipes? Was it a joint effort? It sounds like you had a fun team and I'm sure your families probably loved being taste testers in the mix. (laughs) Indeed. Yes. Well, with five authors, everything in this book was a joint effort. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It, it was really, yeah, lots of conversations over, um, over, I think it was two, two or three years. Wow. Um, 
Yeah, so we have three chefs took the lead on this book. It was um, Jonathan Deutsch, Ali Romy, and me. And um, we led the, the way on recipe development and testing. I Sometimes we started from an idea we were curious about or, you know, like any chef <laughs> or from one of our family's recipes. And sometimes we started from a particular ingredient. Um, we really wanted to foreground leafy greens and cruciferous veggies, mm-hmm. beans, sweet potatoes, mackerel, salmon. Actually, I have to say we had to be really disciplined about sweet potatoes. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about them, but the three of us found that they were like the vegetable that we had in common, that one in cauliflower, and they just found their way into everything. Yes. So we had to keep cutting them. <laughs> That's how my family is like that with Brussels sprouts, but they love, everyone loves Brussels sprouts nice. so yeah. much that everything I make, I'm like, gosh, everything I make, I'm weaving in Brussels sprouts, but I know they'll eat it. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> that is definitely not a bad thing. Um, so variety, 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 variety. That was kind of the message that we preached in the um, more science-based chapters. And that's what we really wanted to demonstrate in our recipes too. Um, the other thing that drove the recipes were herbs and spices. And this is a thing that I think is really unique about this book. Um, we built nearly all of our recipes around homemade anti-inflammatory urban spice blends. Like, for example, one is our sweet spice blend, um, has cinnamon and cardamom and star anise and clove. And so um, we we basically, you know, herbs and spices, we feel like we're, are overlooked in dietary recommendations. Yes. Look at my plate or the food pyramid before it and many other versions that are um, cool around the world you rarely see herbs and spices on there. And in our own anti-inflammatory table, which is a visual guide that Hillary created, um, which is really beautiful, we put herbs and spices just above fruits and vegetables. In other words, they're at the foundation of a healthy diet. And one of the reasons we did this, there's sort of two, two main reasons. One is that herbs and spices are some of nature's most potent anti-inflammatory foods, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, if you think of a square inch kind of (laughs) basis, there's more, you know, phytochemicals in a greater concentration in there than there are in many other foods. And um, you can, you know, there's tons of science on this, but you can also just tell with your own senses, the colors and the flavors and the the aromas are very potent. And that indicates a high level of phytochemicals, flavonoids, etc. Um, I mean, think about the fact that, you know, you would never eat like a spoonful of clove or a, you know, like a salad of parsley, although I don't know, I might eat a salad of parsley. I know. I was just going to say my, my, my 10 year old is a, a strange bird. She like things very plain and I have a herb garden and she will pull the mint. Nice. And eat. And, and I'm so amazed by it. And she'll do the same with basil. And then my older daughter is like, what? are you doing? I cannot yeah. even imagine. And me too. I'm like, I, well, I guess it's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, it's definitely okay. <laughs> um, I like it. And and I think she's developing a great palate that way, actually. Um, and so, you know, that's one of the reasons, just the, 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 health, the health benefits of the herbs and spices. And the other reason is kind of what you're indicating. They're incredibly tasty. And so they give food its cultural kind of footprint um, and they make it tasty and they do this around the world. So um, we did not obviously want bland food to be the anti-inflammatory diet. That's not what we think it is. And herbs and spices are kind of the key there. So that's, um, that's a thing we thought was really important. Actually, I have some of the spice blends on our website um, so people can see that. It's a good 
Yeah, we'll link up to in the show notes, we'll share links and we do a blog post as well around the podcast. So we'll link up to everything and anything that that we chat about for sure. I um I love the spice. I love that you're talking about that because I think, like you said, sometimes Sometimes when people think about making a, a a change in diet, they're like, oh, I'm going to have to eat this bland food or I'm going to have to eat, you know, this non, it won't be flavorful and I'm going to miss out on that. And so I do think that including, you know, those spices and showcasing that and making this, you know, the anti-inflammatory foods and recipes flavorful goes a long way. Yeah, and one more thing I forgot to mention about the spice blends is that we wanted to make them easy. So yes, John and Allie and I are all chefs, and even us, I have to say, the three of us really compared notes. And having the spice blends pre-made, which takes all of five to ten minutes, you know, once a week mm-hmm. or once a month, depending on how much you make, and having them on your shelf already made means that you're reaching for one jar instead of five jars, six jars, or three jars. And that really makes a huge difference in whether you put all of these spices in your food. So that was another thing. Well, and I can tell you this is true because when you're in crunch time during the week, I I forget who I was just talking to about chopping. I said, I know it sounds silly because how long does it really take you to chop an onion or chop Mm -hmm. some sweet peppers? I said, but if I chop (laughs) on Sunday, I am much more likely to grab those and dump them into whatever I'm making um, than, you know, even though it only takes five minutes or 10 minutes, I sure as heck am using the chopped and sometimes just nixing the onion or whatever it might be if I don't I'm just don't have the time to shop it <laughs> it's psychological easy look at these onions that are just there for me to grab look at these spice blends on my you know shelf yes exactly and now my my girls are older so I have them in the mix when we do grocery shopping on Sundays or I do groceries now you know now things are so different but um when our groceries arrive on Sunday they um before I put anything away, I, I have them come in and say, let's do it. Let's, before we even put it, before it even has a chance to go into the fridge or into the fruit basket or on the counter in its spot, like, let's just take care of it now. And so <clears throat> I'm fortunate that sometimes they gripe about it, but then, you know, <laughs> put on some music and, and they're fine. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, so I don't currently, like I said, my daughters are, are older now. Um, I don't have a baby in the house currently, sad, but you know, a different different phase, I guess. But I was very appreciative that each of your recipes offers a way to serve the meal to a baby. And I actually, um, on our team, we have, um, her name's Amber and she has a little one who's about one and a half. And I like came running to her saying, oh my goodness, I can't wait for you to see this because she is always looking for ways to transform her family meals into meals for baby. So I feel like all cookbooks need to do this moving forward. If anyone listening, if you're going to write a cookbook, (laughs) please include this. Um, So what was your thinking behind it? Why did you decide to include this in the book? Uh, This was really important for us. And yeah, I, I totally agree. More books should have it. Um, I think the most important reason we we wanted to include the baby food at the bottom of each recipe is because we we we're trying to impart the idea that baby food and kids food is not or 
that they shouldn't be a whole separate category from adult food. Right. Like in some ways, it's this idea of kids' food as a separate category that's partly at the core of, you know, quote unquote picky eating, where kids only have like their five food groups, the pizza, the hamburgers, and the fries and stuff. And babies and kids learn, and science is very clear about this, as is, you know, tons of, um, you know, tons of experience all around the world with grandmas and, and you know, um, cajoling their babies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Babies and kids learn what they like based on what kids around them are eating and based on what they're exposed to, generally speaking. And one of the core things we strove to teach in this book is how to raise, quote unquote, adventurous eaters. That's what we kind of called them. That's, mm-hmm. that's sort of the children's aid society. Like, how do we make this an adventure? Um, and when I say, like, really become adventurous eaters from the start, I really mean you know, from the start, like babies' taste preferences begin to develop in utero, you know, depending on what the pregnant mother eats. Those aromatic phytochemicals and veggies and fruits and herbs and spices especially get diffused into amniotic fluid and breast milk. And then once kids start to eat solid foods, the key to healthy eating is to expose them to a super wide variety of flavors. And you know, I don't know, um, you probably haven't done this in a while because you don't have babies, but I don't know if you've dug into a jar of baby food recently, but it's really hard to tell the flavors apart. Like there's like bananas kind of taste like plums, kind of mm-hmm. like apricots and the carrots kind of taste like, you know, squash and it's true. potatoes and peas. Like everything has this very dull note. And part of that is because it has to be really ultra cooked in order to be preserved mm-hmm. safely. Now, we think, okay, if you just take a few pieces of, you know, fennel or shiitake mushrooms, things that are usually not in jars for baby food, but they're in our recipes, you cook them up really simply, you know, eliminate the salt, saute them in some oil or steam them. You mash them up or blend them quickly. And they're so much more vibrant. That's an actual flavor that's new for your kid. And that is the key to raising, you know, healthy adventurous eaters. And sometimes it is as simple as mashing a banana, but even that banana freshly mashed is tastes like a banana. So um, that was really important for us. We also suggest modifications for toddlers. Um, my experience, and this is in all toddlers, but a lot of them kind of, you mix too much ingredients together on one plate and it elicits a reaction. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) For example, tacos, you know, there's our, our fish tacos. They have fish in them. They have a slaw. They have um, a pico de gallo, guacamole. There's all these components and adults generally love to pile all these things into a tortilla shell, fold it up and taste it all together. And many toddlers want it separate quote unquote, mm-hmm. deconstructed on their plate. And so basically for us kids food, it was mostly adult food in a different format. And putting that baby food um, note down there was a way to help parents wrap their brains around the fact that um, the whole family is eating the same meal. It's just a little bit different format. Which is such a, like a stress reliever yeah. that, you know, because I know so many parents that make, you know, they're like, short order cooks. (laughs) They're making like three different things um, for dinner. And I know sometimes it's, you know, you got to do what you got to do. But um, I have my, she's 10 now, but she's still a deconstructed eater. Um, She, she eats it, but you know, she's, she's um, the one that eats the mint straight. (laughs) She likes, she likes everything. And then my older daughter has, has just devoured 
anything you put in front of her from the time she was born. And she always says, well, you didn't do that for me. And I said, it's not that I, you know, it's not that I like her more. You just did it. I didn't need to do that for you. You know, it's just like, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. There's one other, there's one other point about this that I, I just want to make briefly is kids food, you know, the marketing and advertising that goes towards marketing direct to children, even toddlers on television, on the, you know, iPad and and so forth. It is a multi-billion dollar industry. And I think it's really important for parents to be able to say, wait a minute, you know, normal, regular, healthy, simple food can be made delicious. And so there's a two points here. One is a big cost saving. You don't have to buy the dinosaur shaped, you know, chicken nuggets Mm -hmm. or whatever those are. (laughs) And, um, you know, so you can take back control of that. And then to be aware of the the pressure of this big industry that's um, educating parents in a way that might not be accurate. Right. I agree with you. I have, I, you know, it's so hard to stay on top of everything um, and all the influences that come at kids, especially as, as they start to get older too, you know, things that they've always, sadly, you know, even in the lunchroom, it's kind of like, ew, what's that? You have hummus? That stinks, you know, or whatever. And I'm like, why are you food shaming my kids? <laughs> yeah. Like, please, they're, they're, they've been fine. And now all of a sudden, you know, you have these different influences coming at you. But I always tell my 10-year-old, she sees, you know, an ad or whatever. And like, oh, I really want to buy those muffins. Next time you go to the store, can you buy the muffins? I'm like, well, how about we look for, let's make some of our own. Let's find a, you know, so then I'm like feverishly like healthy version of (laughs) Googling, like, let me combat this before I'm like, you know, stuck at the grocery store trying to buy these blueberry muffins that she wants so badly. Um, But yeah, I I oftentimes let them, when they find something they like, I I say, let's look at Pinterest. And like I said, I let them look at the cookbook and kind of pull some things that they wanted to try. I find that that's been a better strategy over the years for me is letting them have ownership because they don't want to, they don't, if they choose it and they are involved in making it, then oftentimes they're not going to want to say, oh, I don't want to eat that because I'm like, well, it's your idea. (laughs) I had nothing to do with it. It was all you. Yeah. So I like the uh, chapters in the book that, and it's threaded through that teach parents or encourage parents to bring kids into the kitchen. I think that's incredibly valuable. Um, it really is on many levels, right? You get the extra help and they take ownership. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, people underestimate this extra help thing. <laughs> no, I know. That's even with lunchbox packing. We talk about, you know, giving parents the tools to pack a lunchbox. And I'm like, wait a second. We need to stop this propaganda right now. <laughs> 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 the kids, I promise you, at a very young age are able to put together a bento box to their liking that they're going to eat. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, flipping the script a little bit. I don't ever like to, you know, go, go on the negative side, but you don't have to give me a full long list, I guess. But if you had to say foods that are the worst f- for inflammation, you know, what what causes inflammation? What what can we 
what's the short list or the short tips that we can avoid um, when making you know choices at the grocery store? Right. I think that the easiest answer is to go back to the analogy of the clean burning fuel. So if you just visualize the difference between a processed food, something off the shelf that is highly processed, or envision a fast food um, burger and a large side of fries, compare how those burn or are used in the body to... Uh, For example, like a beautiful bowl of berries or um, uh, oatmeal or a whole grain, much more efficient fuel. When you use the processed food or fuel, you get a lot of those unhealthy byproducts. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really the easiest um, sort of simple message is try as best you can to avoid highly processed foods and steer away from things that are, you know, fast food or highly uh, greasy, fatty foods of that nature in the drive-through. Yes, I. That's that. Those are good tips. I often um, ask my daughters, "How many steps did it take to get to you?" which I know is funny, but it got their wheels spinning and, and they've, and I started, I said it just, you know, on a whim a couple of years ago and they both think, they both say, they'll look at something and they'll laugh and say, you know, maybe it's like Sour Patch Kids or something. And they're like, I don't know how many steps this took to get to me. <laughs> Is it okay for me to eat this? I'm like, well, as long as it's not like you're every every meal you're eating Sour Patch Kids because they're like, I don't even know what kind of plant this would have come from. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> the origin of this tree. Like, yeah. So they're like, that's that makes sense. So that was like an easy way for me to to share with them. Like, think about what you're eating and how many steps it took to get to you. Because I like they weren't grasping like the processed foods. Um, concept you know because I'm like well they're processed and they're like we don't know what that means <laughs> right what does that mean I I love that example the more natural the better yes so I think that that was a way that that stuck with them and kind of funny because they bring it up a lot um to joke about it with the candies and things like that what tree did this grow on <laughs> um I, was, I don't know but if you find it you're gonna make a lot of money if you find a tree that grows sour patch kids um okay <laughs> so oh go ahead add that um because you know this question comes up a lot and again we you know just like you we didn't want to like uh pedal in uh, the negative, right? right? We want to talk a ton about the negative. Better to talk about what to eat than, yes. than not to in some way. Um, and also, you know, there we did um, break down some of the most, uh, you know, commonly found um, preservatives and chemicals in food and in packaging um, and in um, artificial sugars. And some of the research that 
accompanies them and and shows that they're you know endocrine disruptors or or other things so we you know we did take some pains to kind of point out some of the things that are on your labels that you might not know what they are and and it was really an education for me i mean diving deep into the literature on this stuff was not a happy place to be for a little while but um we boiled it down and so there's some good information in the book about that too there is and i will say and I have the book in front of me, I had to flip back to it because I I said, I know that I read, I was reading about artificial sweeteners and I, I laughed because it says saccharin and then parentheses, pink packets, yeah. aspartame, blue packets. I was like, yes, thank you for that. <laughs> I needed that color a call out because then I was like, this is something I'm going to remember. Yeah. So I love it. There's definitely a lot of info. You know, we talked a lot about the recipes, but I will say, for anyone listening, you will get all the info before you dive into the recipes. A lot of what we're talking about today, but so much more, um, you know, of the understanding behind the anti-inflammatory foods and all of these things just dives into the questions we're, we're asking today um, just a little deeper. Okay, so bottom line, <laughs> what are the defined rewards to following an anti-inflammatory lifestyle, I guess, uh, anti-inflammatory diet. Okay, I'm going to start with the nutrition um, part of the answer to this question. It's all about prevention. And you can link the food that you put in your body or your child's body to healthier heart, healthier blood vessels, healthier liver, healthier brain, and so forth. So it is all about keeping the body in good shape. So as the child grows and develops, that idea of the sort of smoldering fire is kept very cool. And what that does is it leads to much healthier development of all the body organs as the child grows. And why that matters is because that sets the child up to avoid preventable chronic illnesses such as obesity or overweight and can help reduce risk for inflammatory driven illnesses such as asthma, um, childhood arthritis, for example. Uh, we're seeing a lot of inflammatory gut diseases and so forth. So the whole idea is set your child up to be as successful in health as possible. I love it. And every, and you get to feel great. Your body just feels good too, right? <laughs> That's right. You feel better, more energy. You bet. Yes, we could all use that. And um, to piggyback on that, the, the, the other benefit that we talk a lot about in the book is, well, we talk about balancing what you eat with how you eat. And we, we take um, a lot of time really to talk about the context of eating um, because we want the other tangible benefit for this book to be that your child and your family have a happy lifelong relationship with food. Yes. So that that doesn't mean you never eat sweet things. It doesn't mean you, it doesn't mean you never eat junk. It means that you know how to moderate this stuff. Like, you know, you don't get caught up in the cravings of it. And there's some really concrete tips for how to do that. Um, 
some of them are are things like you know how to make mealtime social and the benefits of that. Again, all of this is totally backed by uh, many studies, but a lot of uh, science about kind of how to enjoy food together um, through mindful eating. You know, we have some mindful eating um, guidance in here, turning off screens, um, using descriptive language for food. So for example, getting kids away from this um, and adults <laughs> away from this kind of dichotomous black and white language. I like it. I don't like it. Ew, delicious. Um, what about, what does it feel like in your mouth? Is it crunchy? Is it squishy? Is it right? Eat, you know, start to have a more nuanced understanding of food. Um, other tricks are not snacking a ton, you know, not getting into arguments with your kids about it. And so we break all this down um, because we're looking for kind of the bigger picture here, right? Like the the nutrition is um, is the is the is the end in a sense, but the nutrition, like the food, has to get into the body in order to be nutrition. And for that, you need a healthy relationship with food in the first place. That's sort of psychologically healthy, socially healthy relationship with food. That's a really good point to mention. I, I, it's escaping me what episode number it was at this point, but I did have um, a guest on and we were talking about, you know, making mealtime, how mealtime, you know, back in the day was it like my dad talks about, you know, the rigid, like, you know, you were seated and you had good posture and and not that those things aren't in the manners and aren't important. Um, but, you know, my dad would say, I really didn't like dinner time because it was like the time where it was like, what did you get on that test? And like, what did, you know, like kind of that just not a pleasant experience. And um, I started thinking about that and I thought, you know what, that is important. I mean, I'm talking about dinner in that regard to make that time a not stressful time, you know, where you're, you're, you talk about different things and it's a happy time and it's a family time and there's not screens and you can, you know, sometimes those tabletop, they're like conversation starters, especially because I have a teen and tween now. So that, fortunately or unfortunately for me, they don't have a problem talking, but I know some families <laughs> do have, um, you know, as they get into those teenage years, find roadblocks with conversation. So sometimes those table, um, table talkers or like conversation starters, you know, if you had a million dollars, what's the first thing you'd do? Or, you know, those types of things that get conversations going. And then it, the relationship with food, I think, you know, can become, become better. Although it is funny in that conversation, I think he said, you know, have different themed, culturally themed nights and one night eat with your hands like they do, um, you know, in this location. And so me, I made the mistake of mentioning that to my kids. So, and she even, she brings it up. The 10 year old brings it up constantly where I'm like, can you please use your fork? You have utensils. She goes, well, you know, in some cultures, they eat with their hands. (laughs) Ah, why did I ever mention that? (laughs) (laughs) So good stuff. All right. So before we finish up, I want to do, I've been doing these hot takes, which are just silly and fun. So play along with me. Um, I think Stefania, you go first. This is the first time I've had two guests. So I guess Hillary gets the upper hand. She can think. Um, So just answer. You just, I'm going to say two things and you pick one. Okay. All right. Here we go. Coffee or tea? Ooh. Um, oh no, I'm about to 
blaspheme my own culture because I'm Italian, but tea. Snowy getaway or beach vacation? Beach vacation all the way. (laughs) Fruits or veggies? Veggies. (laughs) Phone call or text? Ooh, it's a tie. Yeah, it's going to be a tie. That's okay. (laughs) Facebook or Instagram? Oh, Instagram, 100%. Okay. Or, and this is weird, but I just, I was researching these, this or that's, and this one intrigued me. So cups in your cupboard, upside down or right side up? Oh, right, right side up, you know, with the cup. Yes. Up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Hillary, your turn. Let's go back to the beginning. All right. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Me too. (laughs) Snowy getaway or beach vacation? Beach vacation, please. Fruits or veggies? Veggies this month is the focus. Yes, I'm a veggie person myself. Phone call or text? Phone call for sure. Facebook or Instagram? I'm taking a break from social media right now. I was going to say, or neither, because I'm on the neither (laughs) boat right now. (laughs) So cups in your cupboard, upside down or right side up? Right side up. Okay. All right. That was fun. Thank you both for joining me today and sharing lots of great tips and ideas for families. We will definitely link up um, for listeners to buy their own copy of the cookbook. We'll link to the website. Any other links that you guys want to share information that might be helpful, we'll, we'll post all of that. So before we close things out, can you tell listeners, like I said, I'll post all the links, but if there's anywhere else where they can find and connect with you. Um, I guess through my website, which is seedtotable.org, like as in food goes from the seed to your table. And... Hmm. Um, and then I get, let's see, my Instagram is just my name, very uncreatively. So Stefania Patinelli. Me too. I'm an uncreative oh, as wow. well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have Healthy Family Project is, is the, the main one. But for me personally, it's my name. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah, and that, that, those are the two best ways. And uh, for me, I have an educational academy called the Academy of pediatric integrative medicine, where there are parent and uh, clinician resources and information. So, apim.org and then Dr. McClafferty at apim.org is probably the easiest way to find me. Wonderful. Well, thank you both so much. It was great to speak to you and I look forward to making more of these recipes. Thanks. Thank you so much. Great episode today. What a, what just an awesome conversation. I can't wait to try more of the recipes in this cookbook. If you like the Healthy Family Project, which I hope you do, um, please tell a friend or leave us a rating. It will only help our visibility so we can continue to create a healthier generation. If you want to tweet with me, I am at Amanda M. Kiefer on Twitter and also the same on Instagram. And then you can find Healthy Family Project on Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, Facebook, and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe. Talk soon. Talk soon.